And um, as we look at this passage having to do with Jesus, the bread of life, um, we find that he is not only spoken of as Jesus, the bread from heaven, but uh, we find that uh, in a very real way, Jesus is bread to us in a, in a very spiritual sense. Now, I suppose if you put bread on the table, um, and at least in the culture of the day, what we're talking about here in the New Testament, it was a staple. It was necessary to living. And I remember some time ago, I uh, watched a documentary on bread, and especially the making of bread in the Middle East. And um, bread was so important to the diet of the Middle Eastern people uh, that to eat bread, it contained all the nourishment or nutrients that you needed to really live. Uh, because the wheat bread was especially nutrient fortified. Um, and the way that it was produced, of course, and ground and, and then... Um, a natural yeast was, uh, or was added to the bread, which was really just an yeast from the natural air and kind of like the dust and so forth of the, of, of the day that uh, fell upon the bread. And there is a natural yeast, if you will, or germination that takes place in the bread might even call it a sense of fungus, but uh, it creates a, a yeast in the bread which you can raise and raise the bread up, of course. Um, you may remember when they left the uh, land of Egypt and they didn't have time to, to uh, make yeast bread, and Jesus told them not to do that, but rather to just carry their dough troughs with them and uh, they could make it later. But they were to have unleavened bread. Uh, of course, leaven is a type of sin in the New Testament, uh, and in the Old Testament for that matter, probably. Um, and we find that... Um, so bread was very much a natural um, part of the diet of people, basic food. And as we speak about Jesus uh, this afternoon, uh, he is the basic food of our spiritual life. Um, and so the metaphor of bread being used here is very important to the basic spiritual life of the believer. Now this morning we had a lot of serious meat. You know, the metaphor of meat can be used for this, for kind of digging into more uh, other parts of the Bible where there might be, you, you might want to delve into, such as the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel or some of those books that you really want to dig into to find out more about uh, certain prophetic events and things that are going on. But then uh, that's a metaphor used for those things, and then there is an, even a metaphor used for the milk of the word. Uh, and so uh, remember that as we, as we talk about this, as much as Jesus is truly more than milk, but he is bread. He is the very basic building block of our spiritual life. And we need to remember that though the text seems so straightforward uh, in what, much of what it has to say, we might even say simplistic in some sense, 
but it is very important and nutrient-driven to our spiritual life to know Jesus, to know who he is, to know that he is truly the bread, the spiritual bread which is given to us from heaven, to know that he is life and eternal life to us, to know that he is God. And that is no small theology when you actually get into it. It goes into not only Christology, but theology proper. But yet we find that many of these truths are presented so simply um, that we marvel at them sometimes. And this is one of those truths that is given here for us. And so we'd like to begin by reading this passage. We'll read verses 30 through 40, and then we'll come back and look at the... um, points there on the board for this afternoon. And beginning now in John chapter 6 and verse 30, they said, Therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our father did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will who sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, Shall we pray? Lord, we ask your blessing upon this word that it may be profitable to us and edifying in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage here, uh, we want to look at three different areas. First of all, they asked for another miracle to prove him. You remember, this is the same group of people that Jesus did the miracle for beside the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the hymn that we just sang even even referenced it, didn't it? So this is the same group of people, and now they ask for another miracle that they might prove Jesus to be who he said he is. Um, And uh, this reminds us, doesn't it, of how fickle man is and how unstable in faith they are. And then, uh, so secondly, he says, um, my father gave you true bread from heaven. They question Jesus further upon this. They talk about Moses. They talk about that manner in the wilderness that God gave to them from heaven. But Jesus says, no, my father gave you the true bread from heaven. And so uh, he has an answer to them concerning the difference between the manner which was given in the wilderness 
and himself coming down from heaven. And we'll look at that in a moment. And then thirdly, he, uh, he that comes to me shall never hunger or thirst. And so this bread, of course, that God has represented through his son, Jesus Christ, this bread of heaven is one that if a person partakes of that bread from heaven, they will never hunger and they will never thirst again. Now remember that, that these uh, metaphors that we're talking about, if you will, um, milk, meat, and bread, they really are all metaphors of spiritual sustenance and spiritual truth. And so uh, for the body, not so much, but for the soul and spirit within man. And so here we have uh, Jesus being used in this sense that, that he is sent from the Father. He is sent as bread, the true bread from heaven. Now just as you and I have to eat every day, um, and we have to take in uh, milk and meat and bread and uh, and of course, some of the other things too that perhaps might not be so appealing to you, like vegetables. <laughs> but remember, even even Daniel and his friends uh, enjoyed vegetables and prospered very well on them. Uh, so we know that. Uh, uh, in other words, we we won't outgrow the need for bread, for the bread that Jesus gives to us. We won't outgrow that, and that's why he becomes such as such an important foundational a spiritual food for us in our lives. We do not outgrow the need for, for the bread that Jesus gives. Uh, we may, you may want some meat once in a while, and you may go to other passages of Scripture. Uh, you may want some milk to wash everything down, uh, and that uh, is much more uh, liquid and easily digestible and so on and so forth, and, and that is good too. But the bread, the bread from heaven is part of our diet and we need to keep Jesus ever close to us in our hearts and lives. And so I would encourage you to uh, remember that when you come to these passages and don't take them too lightly at all. Uh, so first of all, they asked for another miracle to prove him. Verse 30 and 31, they said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Well, Jesus had told them, of course, much about himself um, and how that um, he was truly the Messiah of God. That was the point of his much teaching to his disciples and the miracles which he did. And in fact, uh, how could a whole group of people kind of miss the point when they had just been fed bread beside the Sea of Galilee, not to just a few people, but the multiplication of uh, five loaves and three fishes and, and uh, how that... Uh, that in other words, God did a miracle right in the very presence. And yet now here they are looking for another sign, uh, which only indicates to us much about the human nature in man. So they further want to prove who Jesus is, but uh, we find that the five loaves and two fishes uh, did not impress them evidently the way that it should have. 
although you, one would think that they truly would have been. But see, on the next day they came to him and asked him for this sign that would prove his claim to be the Son of God or to be the, the Messiah of God. And like most unbelievers, they wanted to see first and then they would believe. How many times we have heard that? Uh, if God would only speak to me, if God would only do a miracle for me, if God would only show himself and prove himself to me, I would believe. And uh, man is very pragmatic in that sense. He, they have to, man, wants to, man wants to trust science and not God. You know, that seems to be the key word today, too. I mean, and albeit that science is important, and God has given us science, after all, He did make the heaven and the earth and all they that dwell therein. And uh, that uh, He has given us the wisdom and intelligence and wherewithal that we might prove nature and the things that uh, are therein. But uh, we have to remember that without uh, God, Science becomes merely an academic fact and nothing that proves anything toward God. But one must believe in God and then science becomes much more believable. Well, anyway, here we find that um, uh, these people wanted to see something first before they believed. And uh, what does the Bible say about belief? But it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, faith is an intangible and it is not a material thing. And uh, even Thomas uh, would not believe unless he had touched the nail prints, unless he had put his hand in the side of the Savior. And when uh, Thomas finally did meet with Jesus, Jesus scolded him in a sense by saying, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed than you, Thomas. Even though Thomas was very much convinced and, and did call upon the Lord, my God and my, my Lord, my, my Lord and my God, he did call upon him. He did believe. And he did die for him a martyr's death. But how much more wonderful it is that people would believe by faith and the one who can save them. And so, um, as much as we might try to convince people with facts on science, faith is the only thing that is going to truly do it in the end. As God has ordained that faith is the channel whereby grace may be fully effective in the heart of an individual. For by grace, I say, through faith. And so, like most believers, they wanted to see first, and then they would believe, that we may see it and believe you, they say, but this is not God's order. You see, God says to sinners, if you believe, then you will see. Faith must always come first. And so God puts it in the correct order. Man has it kind of switched around. If I can only see something, then maybe I'll believe. And so we find here, They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? They wanted him to do something. 
Verse 31, they go on further to say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He that gave bread, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, um, it is true that uh, the account is there in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 78, 24, if we read, and had uh, rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused them an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind, and he rained flesh upon them as dust, and feathered fowl like as the sand of the sea, and let it fall in the midst of their camp. Well, he not only gave them bread, he gave them meat as well. But the point is here, uh, Moses gave them, or God rather gave them, through Moses, literal food. There's a difference between literal food and the bread which came down from heaven that Jesus represents. Literal food just says that a miracle happened. And Jesus did, that, did a miracle in their very midst. He did that already. And so we find that um, he was calling them out on their, on their supposed argument um, against him. And they were saying something to the effect, well, um, Moses brought down manna from heaven. Uh, can't you do something more than just simply multiply a few loaves and fishes? And Jesus comes back and he lets them know that he is the true bread from heaven. That he is greater than Moses. Well, if we should see the superiority of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, we know that it is not only greater than the angels, greater than the prophets, greater than any Levitical system that came before him. He himself is the one who came forth from God and that he would reveal himself in the fullest sense of what the Old Testament truths did portray and foreshadow. And of course, uh, Jesus wanted to give this message to them that they might believe. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They implied that Moses called down food from heaven. The Lord was not as great as Moses because he had only multiplied existing food. Well, that's kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? When someone is, has done a miracle right in front of you, something you could not possibly do, something you could not never hope to do, and no man could do unless God was with them, well, even Nicodemus said that. Only God can do the things that you are doing, Jesus. And he inquired of Jesus much more. So, first of all, it was not Moses who gave them the manna, but God. Moreover, the manna was not the true spiritual bread from heaven. It was only literal food. It wasn't true spiritual food at all. And, of course, the bread that uh, God gave them in the wilderness was, had to be eaten again and again. Every single day, they had to go gather it and to be sustained. 
And so the Lord Jesus was here speaking about the true, ideal, and genuine bread, which God gives from heaven. Let's read on here in verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. God gave the bread, and it was only physical food. It was not Moses at all. In fact, Moses found himself not knowing what to do. He had to go intercede on the behalf of the people to God, and then God uh, did provide for them. And so here we find that Jesus answers them by saying that my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Of course, the bread which God gave to Moses that they might eat had to, was only mortal, was only temporary, and it was physical food, it was not spiritual food. It did nothing more than sustain them for a little while until they ate some more. The difference then is that Jesus shows himself to be the true bread, the true spiritual life from heaven, and that God would give that bread not just for the Jewish people, but for the world. And so the greater truth concerning Christ is that he is not just a temporary uh, leader to the nation of Israel. No, he was meant to be the savior of the world. The savior of the world. We can see in Jesus every superiority of anything that ever came before him. And so the former only foreshadowed the latter. And the latter would be to the greater extent of any of man's imagination. And that God's grace would be poured out to the fullest. And so he says in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven. He talks about himself as being the bread of God. And giveth life unto the world. And so here at this juncture, in Jesus talking to his own disciples and to the people who came uh, to be fed, Jesus points out in his true role as being revealed as the incarnate Son of God and the Messiah, that he is the one who was being sent from God, from heaven, that the spiritual life which would come out of him would be eternal life and would be for the world. Would be for the world. And so Jesus, Jesus revealed himself as the bread of God which came down from heaven and the one who gives life. He gives life. The true bread comes down from heaven and gives life to men. Not just one nation, but to the world. But to the world. And so here in the Gospels, we see the beginning of that, 
the foundation of the, of the gospel message which would come after. The beginning of that message would be known in Christ. The revelation of God's love to the world would be manifest through Jesus. And Jesus would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. For God sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And so this bread, this bread, and so the Jews still, of course, did not understand or realize that the Lord Jesus was speaking about himself as the true bread. They didn't have a clue. You know, sometimes we say that, don't we? If somebody just doesn't get it after you've explained and explained, and it seems like they just don't understand, they don't seem to have a clue. When it comes to spiritual things, man does not have a clue. He does not. Every time, man will seek his own way. He will come by some, quote-unquote, spiritual way, um, but it won't be the right way. It will be the broad way which leadeth unto destruction. It won't be that way which, which comes from God the Father, because that way is through Jesus Christ. And man, of course, will endeavor to um, accomplish his purposes by then manifest physical means. Oh, I, shall, uh, I will join the local church and become a member and therefore be saved. I will work as hard as I can and do good unto my neighbor and therefore I will be saved. I will take the ordinances of the church and therefore I will be saved. You see, man wants some physical means to do these things. But they're not sufficient in themselves. They're good things, but they follow something else. They follow one who has partaken of the bread from heaven. The bread which gives life to the spirit and soul and gives meaning to the things that come after, such as those things that I have spoken to you about. It gives meaning to those. But to do them beforehand is insufficient. Just as the physical food was insufficient to the people of Moses' day, only Jesus can provide the kind of spiritual food which is for the world and which is for life and eternity. And so we find that Jesus speaks about that. Verse 33 again, For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Well, that sounds good. Um, and maybe you have had somebody respond in kind to something you have said about don't you want to come to church? We're going to be having a special speaker. Wouldn't you like to come and, uh, and hear the music of this evangelist that's going to be coming? Uh, wouldn't you like to come to our Bible study and, uh, and study the Word of God and find out more about uh, the Word of God and about Jesus? 
And they may respond in kind, and they may even say, yes, I'd like to do that. And uh, they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Um, they wanted, people want to receive something from God. They want to receive it, even if they don't know how to receive it. And we find in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so here we are at point three. He that cometh comes to me shall never hunger or thirst. You may remember this, something similar to this was said before to the woman at the well. Uh, concerning that water that she desired to draw from uh, the well. But uh, Jesus pointed out to her, if uh, she drew of that water, she would have to come back and draw again, except that she received the water that he alone could give. And if she partook of that water, well, she would never thirst again. And she became greatly impressed over this truth, insomuch that it seemed to leave a lasting impression upon her that she ran to her neighboring town, where she came from, and she began to spread the word that this man knew everything I ever did, that he must be the Messiah. He must be the Son of God. Well, it takes faith to know those things. And we find here that uh, in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He gets to the heart of the issue. Uh, he says, okay, let us not do any more miracles. We don't need to feed another 5,000 people. You just need to hear me tell you that I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. You know, at some point when we give the gospel, we have to give it succinctly. I believe it was Stephen Olford in his book on evangelism said that you do not give the gospel with, it, with intent until you give it succinctly with intent. In other words, at some point you have to get to the heart of the matter. You have to tell them really what you are meaning about the gospel, that Jesus saves and Jesus alone, that there is none other, that he is the great I am of the word of God, that he is the incarnate Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he had no human father, that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, that he came into this world to bear the sins of the world in his own body, upon a tree, that is through his death and life, through the atonement of Christ, through the expiation of Jesus, the death of Jesus, that he finished that work of salvation that the, the Father gave him to, to accomplish. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You want bread? I am that bread. I am that spiritual food. I am that life. He says, I am the bread of life. He is saying, basically, that he is God. He is equal with the Father. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst.
to hunger and to thirst are two basic needs within the human body. And uh, it is the very reason we, we eat and the drink, of course, is to survive and to have life um, mortally, physically. But he says, this is spiritual life that I'm talking about here. You cannot have spiritual life unless you partake of me. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. In verse 36, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. Well, uh, he gives them a very important spiritual truth, and then he tells them, he says, but you haven't believed. I've shown you that I am the Son of God. I've done miracles everywhere I have gone, and even in your very presence I have done miracles that only God can do, and you still have not believed me. You still do not believe that I am the Son of God and that I came forth from the Father, that I am that bread of life. And uh, many people are like this, are they not? That you can tell them, and you can tell them, and maybe they have heard many times, perhaps you know some people who have heard over and over and over again the truths of the Word of God, but yet they have not believed. And these people that Jesus was speaking to also fell into the same category. Even though he had done many things to prove himself, they had not believed. They had not believed. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. Well, in the next few verses, we perhaps have some of the most profound uh, truth, truths or teachings in the Word of God. In fact, they are unbelievable. And they, they are so uh, marvelously um, given of God that we cannot comprehend them fully. But yet they are there. Uh, the Lord was not discouraging their unbelief. He was just simply stating a fact. Even though he had done many things in front of them and proved himself to them, they, would, they had not believed yet. He knew that all the Father's purposes and plans would be fulfilled, even if the Jews to whom he was speaking would not accept him. Uh, none of these things take God by surprise, by the way. Even though we sometimes say, uh, in a very curious way, we will say, I can't understand why they don't believe, or why they don't understand. They've heard the gospel many times. How come they don't, don't believe? And we marvel at it, but yet they do not believe. Uh, because God's purposes and plans must be fulfilled, and some are called, and some... I'm not. Now, that is a very hard thing to say. And, of course, we, we don't like to say those things too loudly, do we? Because we are afraid somebody will get their own opinion that they haven't been called. Uh, when, in, in fact, all have been called. That is, the call goes out generally to everybody. Uh, I think it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said, If I knew who were the elect and they had a yellow stripe down their back, 
I should go about pulling up shirt tails and preach to them. But since he didn't know, he says, I'll preach to you all of them. And let God be the one to settle the question in their hearts. For whom did Christ die? I believe it was John Owen that might have said something like that. And who do we preach the gospel to? For whom to Christ died? He died for the sins of the world. He did not exclude any in those that he came to die for. Not in that general sense. Not in the universal sense of preaching the gospel to all. He did not exclude any. He came to die for the sins of the world. And so we find that um, A.W. Pink puts it this way, quote, The realization of the invincibility of the eternal counsels of God gives a calmness, a poise, a courage, a perseverance, which nothing else can, unquote. Now, of course, that's a very theological statement. In fact, but in fact, what it is saying to us then is that if you know you are saved and you hear the word of God, you are quite comfortable with what the word of God is saying about salvation and about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did. Because you're saved. Because the unsaved, they're not so calmed by it. It brings to them a huge amount of questions. And it may even bring them much dis discontent, if you will, in their lives. Because, in some sense, they don't have any true assurance. But we find that God means for us to have assurance. In verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Assurance. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, that is a very assured statement. And to one who believes, it means the world. And him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Again, the full assurance of one's salvation is based upon what is being said in that verse. It can have some great theological uh, truth to it. But at the same time, take it in its simplest form. It just gives you the most sound sense of assurance that Christ means to fulfill his purpose and plan in your life as you have trusted him. Because... You believe you are one of those that God has called unto him. And he says, I will not cast you out. And that is an assurance that each of us need. In verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do the will of my own, but the will of him that sent me. Now here is an interesting truth that uh, Jesus did not have any will of his own. Not the will of his own. Well, you, you, somebody might say, well, that means what? Well, in a practical way, probably you would like to put it this way. That it only means that God's will and Jesus' will was the same. 
He didn't come to do any other will but the will of him that sent him. You know, some say, well, Jesus could have sinned if he wanted to. He just didn't want to. Well, remembering who God is, and Jesus was God, incarnate in the flesh, can God sin? Uh, it doesn't quite fit the profile. No, Jesus had a will, but his will was in complete harmony with the Father. He came to do the Father's will. In his human flesh, he would have many struggles against the world and against the frailness of his flesh, but not in conflict with the Father's will. The Father's will was ever upon his heart, and he meant to accomplish it in, in every way. And so, uh, even as the human mind cannot reconcile these two teachings that we've been talking about here in verse 37, however, we should believe them even if we cannot understand them. They are biblical teachings and are clearly stated. And so we always ought to say, we ought to believe what the Word of God says, even if we don't understand it fully. Because God can, can teach us. God can reaffirm those truths to us. And if we accept them for what they are, God can use them to bring the full assurance of faith concerning our own salvation. Now, we are not responsible for saving other people uh, in this sense. Not that we aren't given the gospel to take to other people, but we don't save people. We just take the gospel to them. Jesus does the saving. And so, um, let us be assured that uh, our salvation rests in Christ alone, by grace and through faith alone. And uh, yes, we do have a responsibility. Human responsibility is very much a part of the things that God requires of us. The will of the Father. Verse 38 and 39. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of this is the will of this is the Father's will who sent me that of all that he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Now of course here is another very important theological truth, isn't isn't it not? Um, the will of the Father was that everyone who was given to Christ would be saved and kept until the resurrection of the just, when they would be raised and taken home to heaven. And so, um, again, we not only have been um, saved and secured, and that God is not going to cast us aside, but that we can be well assured that uh, because we are saved, we shall be resurrected at the resurrection of the just. And uh, we find that um, the word nothing here and the word it, of course, are in the context of the greater body of the church, the greater body of those who are within the Father's keeping, being saved 
and will be resurrected. So um, we find that the believers have a full assurance of faith. We have a full assurance of faith, and, and these truths um, are very important. Now, see, that goes, that's kind of getting into that meat section, isn't it? But again, Jesus is under the heading of Jesus is the bread of heaven. You see, when we, we, when we step back from the table and we look at the table and see the bread there, we find that Jesus is the, the manner, if you will. He's the one who's going to sustain us. You may get a little closer to the table and find greater meats to chew on, but the bread cannot be eliminated. And Jesus is the, the nutrient a uh, full person who is able to supply all spiritual life to us as Christians. And so verse 39, And this is the Father's will who has sent me, that all that he hath given to me in this great work of salvation, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And so every believer that's ever believed since the time when Christ came and died for the sins of the world. And for that matter, as we might say, even those in the Old Testament who were believing, um, which, which we know there were many, are safe within the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the just. So as far as Christians are concerned, um, when it speaks about the last day, it refers to the day when the Lord Jesus will come in the air. And we commonly refer to the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints. And um, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, when the living believers will be changed, and when all will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, to be forever with the Lord. And to the Jews... Uh, it meant the coming of the Messiah in glory. They were, they were looking for the Messiah. And so in verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, in the close context, we might say he's talking to those who see him presently, in his day, but in the fuller context of Jesus being the true bread from heaven, the one who came to die for the sins of the world, we know it has a broader context than that. Uh, because you and I haven't seen Jesus, in fact, we don't even know if there's a picture of him anywhere. And uh, as far as we're concerned, it'd be just as well that there isn't. Somebody would be in front of it, um, worshipping an image, which God forbade. Uh, so, what does this mean? Well, just as Jesus is spiritually that bread from heaven for our spirit and soul, so also this sight of Christ is by faith. Is by faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith, the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Faith looks beyond and sees and believes 
that God alone, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, saves. And so this great sight of salvation by faith is happening even today. To see and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is by faith. And it is a difficulty, of course, that stops many from believing until God touches their hearts. And so we must, we must rely upon the Lord. But I, didn't believe, I believe the Lord meant it to be so for one particular reason, at least. We would take credit for the first person we could pull out of the fire. Wouldn't we? We would take credit for everybody we could, we could possibly get to grunt the words, I believe. And we would say, we did it. No. God alone does the saving. We are but the messengers. And the Lord is the one who saves by grace and through faith. And that not of ourselves. And so this great plan of salvation we find embedded within the scripture upon every page that we turn. And it only takes the sight of faith to discover it. And it is to the glory of God. Someone asked me just recently, why does the Lord use us? Why does he use lowly me? Why? Because I am so inadequate. I have no particular worth, no particular talent, no particular gifts, no particular advantage over anybody. And the best answer is, he uses lowly me because we are just that, and the glory of God can go directly to him and to him alone. And so the fact that we can humbly present ourselves before the one who is the savior of the world only means that we are given him first place in our hearts, that he might use us, that he might reach others with the glorious gospel of Christ. So let us remember that the bread of heaven, this metaphor for Jesus is so basic to who we are and what we believe and the greater theological terms that come out of it, that we can feast on this bread. We can feast on it and grow more and more and more into the life and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the bread from heaven. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, that you bless us with it. Thank you, Lord, that you use us as you do. And we give glory and praise to you, Father. And may we be willing to present this bread to others. The very basic truth of Christ and of salvation. That he himself may do a work in their hearts. And that they may believe unto life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.